Turn your copy of God's Word this morning to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, as we continue in our study of the first of the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Matthew 11, quite honestly, contains one of the most beautiful invitations that we could ever hear from our Lord in Matthew 11, verses 25 to 30. But before we get to that beautiful invitation of verse 25 to 30, we need to hear the warning and the words of verses 20 to 24 from our Lord. Words that perhaps aren't easy. Words that are quite heavy, words that we need to heed and need to hear this morning. And we gather today as those who live in the wealthiest, most technologically advanced nation in history. We are perhaps the most educated nation in the world. We live in the land of opportunity. The world's information is literally at our fingertips. We simply reach into our pockets and we have all the information that we want in a matter of seconds. We have the freedom to access the Bible in multiple English translations. Not just one, multiple English translations. You can even get in arguments about what English translation you want to use. We have the Word of God in written form, in audio formats, on our computers, some of you are scrolling through your phone to read the Word of God right now. We've been blessed, absolutely blessed. And, and yet I, I fear that, that some have gathered here today and many more gather or, or sit in our community who we know and we love and are living indifferent to the gospel message absolutely unfazed and indifferent to the calling of Christ. Some sitting in here today have heard countless testimonies of God's work and, and God's grace in the lives of the people just sitting right down the aisle from you or right behind you or, or right in front of you. Some of you have, have heard countless sermons declaring the works of God and the, the grace of God and the love of God. And to both the, the works of God displayed in the lives around you and the messages and the hearing the Word of God, you shrug your shoulders. Your eyebrows perhaps don't even raise. You're living indifferent to the Lord. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that you're an atheist. It's not that you're antagonistic towards the gospel. You, you perhaps even would say, I have no problem with, with Christians. I, I even stand for many of the same issues you stand for. I, I supported the video that we saw. I, I applauded and clapped. You would stand with us on those things. But when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to God's call to repent and believe in Christ for salvation, you simply shrug your shoulders and you're indifferent. 
essentially your, your response is, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Man. And so, my plea to you this morning, whatever vernacular you hear, is to lean in, to tune in, to listen up, to pay attention. Turn your attention to what Jesus says in verses 20 to 24. Now, I want you to know that what he says in these verses means that indifference must not be an option. It must not. I didn't say it cannot. Because some of you are showing that it can be an option. But indifference must not be an option. Let's pray before we turn into the Word. Father, we have declared and sung of Your holiness this morning. And God, we have confessed that in light of Your holiness, we need mercy. Because God, what Your holiness does is it confronts us with our sinfulness and our lack of holiness. So God, we plead this morning that You would have mercy on us. God, I pray for friends in this room, this very moment, God, who are living indifferent to the gospel. Oh God, would you have mercy on us? God, would you speak by your word? God, may this be your message from your word for your glory this morning. For the good, the edification, the equipping, the salvation of all we who hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Matthew 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. There's two groups of cities referenced here in this passage. You have two groupings, kind of three cities from Old Testament times, three Canaanite cities, and then you have three cities from which Jesus time and his ministry was carried out. The Old Testament cities here referenced are Sidon, Tyre, and Sodom. 
Each of these were Gentile cities. They were, they were pagan. They worshipped false gods. They were known for their wickedness. Tyre and, and Sidon were both harbor cities where uh, bell worship was very common. There was deep immorality there. Their wickedness ran rampant. In Isaiah 23, the Lord speaks an oracle against them for having pompous pride. In Ezekiel 28, Tyre and Sidon are condemned to be destroyed by God. Sodom, you're probably a little more familiar with. Sodom, a city so wicked that we derive our word sodomy from it. You probably remember the the Lord sending angels to Lot, and as the angels went to Lot, a group of men from the city attempted grotesque, heinous actions with and against those angels. This original, classic city of sin was destroyed for its wickedness in Genesis 18 and 19. The cities from Jesus' ministry, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, we know more about, or a good bit about from the New Testament, even from our study here in Matthew. Chorazin is a little bit of an outlier. We don't know a lot about it historically. We know that it was a Jewish city of importance and Evidently, based on verses 20 to 24, Jesus had done mighty works there. Bethsaida, on the other hand, you you might recall, you've heard that one often. It was a Jewish city along the Sea of Galilee, and it was the home of Philip, Andrew, and Peter, as we're told in John 1.44. The blind man was given sight there in Mark 8. And then we also see and read of in Luke 9, 10 to 17, the feeding of 5,000 there in Bethsaida. Capernaum you've heard much of. You remember in, in Matthew chapter 9, when we came to 9-1, it says, in getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. This referring to Capernaum there. And all of the events of chapter 9 refer to Capernaum. They were carried out there. It was somewhat of ground zero for Jesus' ministry as he carried out his ministry here on the earth. He preached more, he did more miracles in Capernaum than he did in any other city. And just looking through Matthew 9, there's remarkable works that were done in Capernaum. He heals a paralytic. It's where he called Matthew to follow him. It's where the girl was raised to life and the woman healed who had been bleeding. It's where two blind men were given their sight, where the mute man was made to speak. Jesus had done great works in Capernaum. And so then, in light of that, and knowledge of understanding those cities, in verse 20, we read this statement. As he is, he's just finished talking. You remember verses 16 and 19 last week, we, we talked briefly about how in 16 and 19, Jesus was talking to the people, and he was talking to them and confronting them, and their, their refusal, right, to be satisfied, that they demanded everything be along what they wanted, and they refused to be satisfied with either the ministry of John or the ministry of Jesus. Well, now, in verse 20, we read that he begins to denounce the cities, right, denounce the cities where most of his mighty works have been done. He's speaking against these cities. He doesn't denounce the Gentile cities. He doesn't look and say, hey, all those pagan cities I want to denounce before you. No, he comes and he denounces the very cities of God. He denounces cities filled with people who in their own minds were okay. They weren't detestably wicked like all of those other people. He comes and he speaks against them. 
those who know, those who have seen, those who have heard, and he speaks against them. I believe at this point, when we get to this text, this should kind of perk our ears up. As those living in the United States, those living in what's called the Bible Belt, this should perk our ears up and say, what in the world does Jesus speak against them? Why does he denounce them? What's the reason in verse 20? Why does he denounce these cities? Because why? Not a trick question. What's it say? Because they did not repent. Because they didn't repent. He denounces them. He he speaks against against them. Jesus' ministry was there. He, He healed. He taught. He preached. And all of this, when he does mighty works, his mighty works were intended to enforce and confirm the weight and the veracity or the truthfulness of his message. He he had said earlier in Matthew 8, 20, that he was the divine son of man. The son of man, as referenced in Daniel 7, 13 and 14, that was sent from heaven to save his people from their sins. Well, how could they be certain of this? How would they know? Well, they know because of the mighty works of the Lord. The mighty works were to give testimony and to bear witness that his message was true. There was weight behind it. It was accurate, and we need to listen. The mighty works serve as signposts. It's what John, in John's gospel, the the book of signs coming up through John 11 and 12 and following is continuing the theology of John. But in those first 11 chapters, it is sign after sign after sign that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. The theologian Leon Morris commented, he said, the mighty works were invitations for people to reflect on how they stood with God and to repent of the evil that they had done. They were invitations. They were saying, look at who Christ is. Look and behold the God-man. Look and see him in all his glorious splendor and understand that what he says is true And what he says is right. And what was his message, I ask? Repent. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you remember Matthew 4, 17? He comes on the scene and that's his message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He calls them to turn. A full life turn. A full life change. Repentance is not just a, a, well, I'm going to just change my thoughts on this one issue. Or I'm going to be better in, in this area and then I'm going to keep doing this. No, when the call to, re- to repentance is a call to turn from my life living in sin and living for the glory of my own name and according to my own desires, my own sinful heart and flesh, and to turn to God and to pursue Him, to live for His glory, depending fully and wholly upon His grace and His love and His mercy and His kindness, nothing of my own. But yet the people hear that message time and time again. They see the mighty works of God and they, they don't repent. They, they, they look at the mighty works of God and they just shrug their shoulders and nothing changes. They may even be impressed and go, wow, that was great. Now, let's go drink and be merry or let's go do whatever we need to do. Let's finish our day. They were simply indifferent. I would say that there's millions in our own nation. And some sitting in these seats today who are in the same exact category, the same exact position. 
They would take the works of God lightly. They would take the call to repent lightly. The the mighty works of the Lord have been declared from Scripture. They've been displayed in the lives of Christians sitting around you, yet some sit here indifferent and do not repent and don't turn to Christ in faith. The words here of what Jesus says in verse 20 and 24 carries an ominous weight that you must hear today. Indifference must not be an option. It must not be an option. So if you're here and you come in week in and week out, all your life has been characterized by this indifference, that you just hear the word of the Lord, you hear testimony, the mighty works of God, and you leave and carry about your life as though nothing is different. Then I want to ask a question. What is Jesus' message to you? What is Jesus' message today to those who would say, I'm indifferent? Well, first off, Jesus speaks a woe. He speaks a woe here to those who are indifferent and unrepentant. In verse 21, he, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Again, he, he's not speaking woe to these pagan Gentile cities of old. He's speaking woe to his own people who are sitting and have heard and seen, but yet they do not repent. A, a woe can be a, a word of, of sorrow, a, a word of pity spoken to those who find themselves in a, in a destitute condition, in a, in, a, in a bad predicament. Perhaps in, in our day, it might be woe to those who were hit by the floods in eastern Kentucky. It's, it's a, a word of sorrow and pity for them. Or it can be a pronouncement of judgment and curse. We, we see both of these in Scripture. We see woes used in both instances. Here, it is a pronouncement of judgment occurs spoken on those who are taking part in wickedness. It's a, a word pronouncing judgment for a lack of repentance. And we understand that because in verse 22 and 24, we have references to the day of judgment. So the woe spoken here condemns one for his sin and tells of this coming judgment. It's a, a warning sign saying, listen, you must repent because there is judgment coming. You need to turn from your sin. The woe, again, I just point out over and over again, it's not spoken towards Tyre or Sidon or Sodom. It's spoken to the people of God. It's spoken to the Jews. And it had to have surely been shocking to them. Because just like us, you you would expect to come and and perhaps sit and go, you know, I can't believe, can you believe how, how just awful and heinous and sinful and evil are the people living in New Orleans, Sin City, or Las Vegas. It's just a dark place. It may be, when Jesus speaks these words, he looks and he says, people of Somerset, people living in the Bible Belt, who have great privilege, who perhaps your most difficult decision this morning was to figure out which Bible to take and read from. Woe to you. Woe to you this morning. The people's indifference here had led them to observe the mighty works of Jesus, to listen to his teaching and go about life as normal. And Jesus informs them that their indifference had also led them to have a woe from the Son of God spoken to them. Why were they condemned? Why? 
because they did not repent. They did not repent. Now, the comparison that he gives here is significant. He, he, says, he says, listen, even as wicked as Sidon was and even as wicked as Tyre was and even as wicked as Sodom was, had they seen what you see, had they heard what you hear, they would have repented. They would have turned. But you haven't. You haven't. I mean, those wicked cities, they, they would have turned from that. It, it's a, a little, as a side note, it's a, a glimpse of God's omniscience. See, he knows all things. He knows what would have happened had the light been revealed to them. They would have turned. And yet John tells us when he begins his gospel in John 1.11, he tells us right away that Jesus came to his own and what? His own people did not receive him. These wicked cities would have repented, but he says, look, you are indifferent. You don't turn. You don't repent. And so 22 and 24 reveal that this woe was not and it must not be taken lightly. Because it points us on to this day of judgment. It refers to this final day in which all men will stand before God. And we read that and we read this day of judgment. This should, again, perk our ears up and say this is serious stuff that we have to think about. It's the reminder of what the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 9.27 that is appointed for man to die once and then to face judgment. It is that day in which we stand before our maker and give an account. It's the day that Paul spoke of in Acts 17.30-31. He says the times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. What's he going to judge by? He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance of all by raising him from the dead. Jesus will be the judge upon which we, are, we stand accountable on the day of judgment. Have we repented and trusted in him? Or if we live lives indifferent to him in our own sin, walking according to the ways of the world. Which is it? In John 12, 44 to 48, I just want you to hear what Jesus says. John's, Jesus is talking about how he, he came to save, came to bring salvation when he came upon the earth, when he was incarnate. So Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. Jesus came to save the world. He will come to judge. And we are living in between. We have full, beautiful, glorious, mighty testimony of the great work of God in sending Christ to save us from our sins. We have testimony of that. We see it. We behold it. You're holding it in your lap this morning. You see it and change lives all around you. And there will be a day He returns. He returns in judgment. Yes, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, they were all punished. 
They're all destroyed, and they all hold are held accountable before the Lord. Jesus is not saying that, that they're not punished, that they won't meet their rightful fate, that they will not be judged. He's not saying that. They will be. They will have what's coming for them, you might say. The wrath of God will be poured out for them. But what Jesus says is it will be more dreadful, more dreadful for Chorazin, for Bethsaida, for Capernaum. It will be more dreadful. He looks at the people and says, look at their end. Look what happened to them. It's going to be worse for you. Now, just for a moment, just think about that. Wrap your mind around that. Sodom. Burnt. Gone. And Jesus looks at Capernaum. He says, it's going to be worse for you. It's, it's going to be more dreadful. More dreadful for you. We don't, we don't know exactly what this entails. He, he doesn't give us the details about why it's going to be more dreadful. It's not listed here. We don't know. All we do know is that in some way, the degree of suffering is going to be different for various people on that day. It's going to be different. And those who know of the Lord and are indifferent to Him, it's going to be worse. It's what Jesus talked about when He taught the parable in Luke 12. Luke 12, he, he teaches a parable about two masters and servants. And towards the end of the parable, you can go back and read it later. It's Luke 12, 41 to, to 48. But at the end, he explains to his disciples the parable. He says, The servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required from him to whom they entrusted much. They will demand more. There is something that is going to be more severe on that day. For those who know and have beheld and seen the light and the mighty wonders of God, and yet lived indifferent and never repented. Listen, I don't want to suffer at all under the mighty hand of God. And I am thankful that as a child of God, all I know is grace on that day. I know grace, I know kindness, I know love, and I know the mercy of God. It's not that I don't deserve it. I do, I do deserve it, and you do too. But thanks be to God that those who trust in the name of Jesus Christ as Lord will be saved. Thanks be to God that we know mercy and we know grace. Their suffering would be greater because they knew and yet did not repent. Those pagan cities, they had not beheld the light. They had not seen the mighty works. They had not heard the message. But yet they were held responsible for their sins, and rightfully so. The cities that Jesus speaks a woe to had heard, had seen, they knew. And the responsibility they had was great. 
And the consequence of not repenting was great. We've been given a lot. We are so blessed. We need to hear the words of Christ here. Let me give you three reasons to close today that indifference must not be an option according to what Jesus says here. Three reasons indifference must not be an option for you. And I would just beg, if you're here and you're an unbeliever, I would just beg of you and plead with you this morning to think deeply on these things. Write them down. Here. First reason. God has done mighty things. He says it right there. God has done mighty things. The Canaanite cities of old could have pled ignorance to the mighty works of God. But as we said, they were still responsible for their own sin, right? Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they saw the works of God in them and they were more responsible. They could not plead ignorance. We need to realize today, my friends, that we know the mighty works of God. We know what he did in Chorazin. We know what he did in Bethsaida and Capernaum and Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Cana and Caesarea and Philippi and Rome and Colossae and Damascus and Thessalonica. And the list goes on and on. We know the mighty works of God. We have the privilege of God's written word and we have the testimony of his historical works since the time of the early church until now. We must not ignore the great privilege that we have as being citizens of this country today. We had the freedom to purchase Bibles in our language, in any format we want. We had the freedom to gather here every Sunday and worship, to gather in homes and pray and have Bible study. We have been given much, and difference must not be an option. But you know what the mightiest work is? We think about the mighty works of God. We think about the testimony of Scripture. We think about where we are and the perspective we have and the blessing we have. It's the resurrection. The resurrection. We have the resurrection, the mightiest work of God before us. Bethsaida, Capernaum, Chorazin. At this time, they had seen mighty works, but they had not seen this mightiest of work. And friend, its message resounds throughout the annals of history as the tomb remains empty. It's empty. Skeptic after skeptic after skeptic try to get rid of it. They try to disprove it. They can't. And skeptic after skeptic comes to faith in their, in their attempts to disprove the resurrection. It's not a miracle. Listen, the resurrection is not a miracle that a mighty work that you sit back and you reflect and go, wow, and you just kind of think, man, that's impressive. No. It's a mighty work and a testimony that God is a holy and a mighty and an awesome God, and we are not. That he is true to what he says, that he is powerful to save, and that we are to repent and to turn to him. The resurrection is the mightiest of works and the greatest of testimonies, the greatest, the, the greatest invitation to confess that, God, we need mercy from you. Would you please save me? Do you remember Acts 17? Some of you remember this. When Paul preaches, he's in Athens, and he, he preaches a great sermon. We read 30 to 31. If we pick up and continue in 32 to 34, listen what, listen what happens. He says, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. Some men joined him and believed. 
Did you notice what response was not there? Indifference. Indifference wasn't there. The people recognized and knew that the resurrection demanded a response. Some believed. Some mocked. Some jeered. And others said, I want to hear more. No one just went, meh, and shrugged their shoulders. Would you shrug your shoulders today at the fact that that we would stand before you and say that Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive and He is reigning and ruling. Would you really shrug your shoulders at that and be indifferent? Indifference must not be an option. Do you realize that? The second reason indifference must not be an option is the mighty work of God in view of the mighty depth of our sin should lead us to repentance. The, the mighty works of God in view, the mighty depth of our sins should lead us to repentance. That's why we began by declaring that God is worthy of all glory and praise. He is holy, holy, holy. Only a holy God could do what He did. And God have mercy on us. <laughs> have mercy. Because his might and His holiness and His splendor reveals the depth of my sin. May we not be, may you, if you're here an unbeliever, may you not be like Capernaum, a city that assumed it would be exalted to heaven. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 23? And you, Capernaum, would you be exalted to heaven? <laughs> no. You will be brought down to Hades. Why? Because they didn't repent. It's going to be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. In their pride, I'm sure they were taken aback. Pfft, what? Us? Us? Capernaum? Surely not. I fear that some sitting here are going to be taken aback on that day of judgment. Me? <laughs> I, I sat and listened to sermon after sermon at Grace Baptist Church. I went to Sunday school. I read the studies. So you hear these words from J.C. Ryle. Surely these words ought to make the ears of everyone tingle who hears the gospel regularly and yet remains unconverted. How great is the guilt of such a man before God! How great is the danger in which he daily stands! Moral and decent and respectable as his life may be, he's actually more guilty than an idolatrous Tyrian or Sidonian or a miserable inhabitant of Sodom. They had no spiritual light, but he has and neglects it. They heard no gospel, but he hears but does not obey it. Their hearts might have been softened if they had enjoyed his privileges. There's but one painful conclusion to be drawn. His guilt will be found greater than theirs at the last day. May we all think often about Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Let us settle it in our minds that it will never do 
to be content with merely hearing and liking the gospel, we must go further than this. We must actually repent and be converted. We must actually lay hold on Christ and become one with Him. Till then, we're in awful danger. This leads to the third reason. Third reason that you must not be indifferent. Friend, judgment awaits. Judgment awaits those who do not repent. This is bad news. This isn't something we just like to hear. But it's real news. I could, I could tell you otherwise. I could stand up here today and say love wins and we're all good. It's fine. When we get to the end, no big deal. God's so loving and merciful, He's just going to bring us all into heaven. But if I did that, I would be an absolute liar. I would be a failure as a pastor. I'd be a failure as a Christian. I'd be a deceiver. I would be an antichrist. I would be one who would ignore the proclamation, the revelation of the Word of God. I cannot. What I can tell you is that Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15 says that all whose name is found in the Lamb's book of life will be saved. And all whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire to be eternally tormented, to suffer. I can tell you that because that's what the Word of God says. The only way that you're Name is found in the Lamb's book of life is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. I can remind you what Romans 2 says. Romans 2, 2 to 5, I can remind you that Paul said, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's talking about Romans 1, 18 to 32, where he just goes through this, this spiraling downhill fall of sin and depravity. And he says, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, Paul asked, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment be revealed. Indifference must not be an option. Because all who do not repent will be judged. The, the commentator, Johann Bengel, observed this. He said, every hearer of, the New, Testament, of New Testament truth is either much happier or more wretched than the men who live before Christ's coming. We've heard the gospel. It either has brought you great joy and great happiness in Christ in knowing His grace, or it has put you in a place where Jesus would speak and say, Woe, woe, woe to you. Or it would be better to have been a citizen of Sodom 
than to be in your shoes on the day of judgment. The, the, the person who knows of the Lord, who knows of the gospel, is greater, has greater responsibility to repent. And the consequences for not doing so are great. So the question, the question for you is, are you guilty of indifference? You just shrug your shoulders. You just leave today and think nothing of the word of the Lord. In John Newton's Only Hymns, he has a book entitled, there's three of them, and the middle book is entitled Solemn Addresses to Sinners. His first hymn that he wrote as a solemn address to sinners says this, How oft have you dared the Lord to his face, yet still you are spared to hear of his grace. Oh, pray for repentance and life-giving faith before the just sentence consign you to death. It is not too late to Jesus to flee. His mercy is great. His pardon is free. His blood has such virtue for all that believe that nothing can hurt you if Him you receive. You may have sat indifferent to the gospel and to the works of God, to the message and the call to repent and trust in Christ. You may have sat indifferent for years and years and years. You may have heard more sermons than can be comprehended and been indifferent. But it is not too late in this hour to turn and to trust Jesus Christ in faith. The bad news is that there is a day of judgment. The good news is that God Almighty has made a way to be saved through Jesus Christ. The good news is that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The good news is that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Please don't be indifferent to that. Please repent. Please turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.